Wednesday, the 7th of February. It's the Feast of Blessed Pope Pius IX. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God of power and might, all authority comes from you. Enlighten with your wisdom all whom you appoint to positions of authority in church or state. All obedience is due to you. Instill in us a spirit of responsible obedience to all whom you've entrusted with legitimate authority. All honor is yours by right. Grant us a spirit of discernment so that we may honor only those who are truly honorable in your sight. O Lord our God, you alone are God, and there is no other. Grant us an undivided heart to love and serve you with all our mind and all our strength, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed Pope Pius IX, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're along here on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Father Sebastian Walsh, a Norbertine father, will join us. We've been doing a series on the Beatitudes with him. Father Rob Jack along. We just talked about obedience in the opening prayer. Father Rob is going to drill down on that virtue of obedience and why it's so important. Gary Zimak uh, continues our series looking at scriptures that address worry and anxiety. And then Joseph Pierce along with more thoughts on English Catholic history. So a jam-packed hour ahead. Please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The death toll is at least nine after an historic amount of rain has pounded Southern California. The storm dumped more than 13 inches in some areas, triggering mudslides and flooding. Authorities fear the death toll will continue to rise once the waters recede. Some people were killed by falling trees as the storm made its way south from Northern California, while others died in vehicle accidents caused by the dangerous conditions. In Washington, the Senate border deal, which includes funding for Ukraine and Israel, appears to be dead even ahead of a key vote. Mark Mayfield reports. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told reporters Tuesday afternoon it's clear the deal won't become law. That's because House Speaker Mike Johnson says the bill would be dead on arrival in his chamber as he claims it doesn't go far enough to stop the flow of illegal immigration. A growing number of Senate Republicans have also spoken out against the package. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer slammed opposition to the bill, accusing Republicans of cowering to Donald Trump's efforts to tank the deal ahead of the 2024 presidential election. The first procedural vote is scheduled for Wednesday. I'm Mark Mayfield. The House vote to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed. Three Republicans joined Democrats in voting against impeachment with the final tally tied at 215. A member of GOP leadership later changed to a no vote so that the issue could be brought up again. Republican Speaker Mike Johnson told reporters ahead of the vote that Mayorkas engaged in a, quote, complete dereliction of duty in his handling of the southern border. In the Holy Land, Hamas is proposing a ceasefire and an eventual end to the war with Israel. The plan, a response to a proposal put together by Qatari and Egyptian mediators, 
would see three phases lasting 45 days each. It calls for remaining Israeli hostages captured in the October 7th attacks on Israel to be returned in exchange for prisoners, followed by an exchange of bodies and remains. The truce would also let in more aid to Gaza, where there is widespread hunger and a lack of medicine. Around 1,000 priests from 60 countries in the world have gathered in Rome for a conference on clerical formation under the theme, Rekindle the Gift of God that is Within You. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Cardinal Lazarus Yu, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Clergy, opened the conference on clerical formation by recalling the moment Pope Francis appointed him to his current role. On that day, he said, a bishop friend of mine told me, now you are responsible for ensuring that all the priests in the world are happy. These, Cardinal Yu said, are words that I have never been able to forget and that constantly accompany me in the service of mine. It was this remark, the Korean board prelate said, that had led him to organize the conference. Many priests today, he noted, are tired and discouraged, caught off guard by the challenges of today's society and the burdens they carry. Thus, he said, the importance of providing priests with the necessary support and accompaniment and thus the need for ongoing formation has increasingly come to the forefront. Then, Cardinal Tagle, Prefect of the Dicastery for Evangelization, which is co-sponsoring the conference, also offered a few words before proceedings got underway. He stressed firstly that priests must not think that their formation ends once they have been ordained. Rather, he said, it is precisely because we are ordained to the service of God and the Church that we need to be continuously formed. Secondly, Cardinal Tagle said that priests need ongoing education to overcome the tendency to absolutize and glorify one's culture. Ordained ministers, he said, must learn the cultural intelligence to appreciate one's culture, but also to admit the brokenness of one's culture and to affirm the good elements in other cultures. Finally, noting that many priests are close to people who suffer or are indeed greatly suffering themselves, Cardinal Tagle called for clerical formation that addresses wounds and pains that could easily lead to vindictiveness, cynicism and hatred. I'm Francesca Merlo. A record 68 million Americans are expected to bet on the Super Bowl on Sunday. That according to a new survey from the American Gaming Association and the number of Americans placing bets on the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers game is up at 35 percent from last year. It's likely because legal sports betting has exploded in popularity. I'm kind of amazed by all of the what is micro betting is that what it's called i don't oh prop betting oh my goodness taking each individual player and betting how many things they're going to do more or less it is ruined it's there are un- three things i would like to see gone from athletics prop betting mm-hmm. analytics and mm-hmm. commercials get off my lawn anna mitchell <laughs> Well, That's all I, got. I was watching um, uh, a 60 Minutes um, piece. 60 Minutes of commercials on... during an NFL game? No, or... no, 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 no. It was after – actually, was it this past Sunday? So it wasn't even after football. Usually it's like, you know, it, it starts like 20 minutes late because of the football game that's on before yes. it. No, but they were talking about sports betting. And I, you know, I've never pulled up one of these, you know, sports betting things on my phone before. It was unreal. You can just sit there and scroll like you're scrolling through Twitter and just pick things to bet, and it's like constantly updating with you can bet odds on, who's on win the toss on you can bet whether on 
Well, it was what was amazing to me was that it updates this AI like updates the odds that the quarterback is going to fumble on this particular play. And I'm like, what? How do you? Isn't it fifty fifty? Well, it like, depends on how whether he holds the ball or not. I mean, I just well, if he's a good quarterback, hopefully it's like ninety five five. Well, yeah, but still, and that's how they get you. It's unreal. That's how they get you. It's unreal. It's a problem. It's, it's a problem yeah. Well, a lot of people having problems, and the guy from the sports betting it was kind of interesting. He was saying, "No, gambling problems haven't increased because of this. We're just exposing people who were predisposed to having gambling problems." Is he reading from the script <laughs> like, of Big Tobacco or something? I, yeah, it was really. It was. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. We appreciate you being with us on this Wednesday, February 7th. It's eight minutes past. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's been great to go through this book of uh, Father Sebastian Walsh's on the Beatitudes uh, called Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. Father Sebastian, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well, and, you know, we go through the Beatitudes. We unpack them one by one, but I think there's a larger question that a lot of people have which is, why is it that all these uh, paths to happiness that Jesus talks about involve really negative, I mean, really negative experiences? Mm, Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something that um, the truth of the matter is we um, don't have a natural aptitude for the things of heaven. Um, It's a little bit like a little kid um, they like junk food, but if you put fine wine there <laughs> for them to drink, they probably wouldn't like it. So part of the problem is that we're not apt uh, or ready to receive the beatitude of heaven, and so we tend to prefer the things of earth. Okay, So I, I like to give this one quote from Flannery O'Connor. I put it in my book. She was giving a, a talk to a number of people And she was asked the question why so many of her short stories and novels include kind of graphic and grotesque and violent elements and kind of unhappy endings and things like that. And here's what she said. She said, when you can assume your audience holds the same beliefs you do, you can relax and use more normal means of talking to it. But when you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing, you shout. And for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. So man, in our state of original sin, is practically deaf and blind to the fundamental moral realities, to the things that truly make us happy, right? So Jesus has to portray the Beatitudes in, in rather stark terms. So imagine this. Imagine if Jesus had said, instead of blessed are the poor, if Jesus had said, blessed are those who, though they have an immense amount of wealth in this life, still moderately use it and are um, reasonably attached to it. (laughs) That's not as pithy, for one thing. It's not as pithy, but would (laughs) even one person um, embrace poverty for the sake of the gospel, Hmm. if that's what Jesus said? As it is, he said so many things that told us about, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And in spite of that, nearly every Catholic I know wants to be rich. You know, um, imagine if Jesus had used, had he had used um, less stark terms. 
Um, so that's one reason, I think, why the Beatitudes are, are the way they are. Huh? Um, another thing I like to point out is that if you were a father trying to describe to a child, um, I give this example a lot, that let's say you have a, a three-year-old, an ordinary three-year-old, and you say, okay, you have a choice between a bowl of ice cream and a fully paid-for college education. The three-year-old will choose a bowl of ice cream every single time. But what if you're the father and you're trying to convince them that they should choose a college education, but they don't know anything about it because they just know ice cream? Uh, you might say something like this, that ice cream's poison. It'll eventually kill you. <laughs> you know, you'll point out the fact that it's, it doesn't have all the happiness you're looking for. And I think that's why Jesus is, you know, he, he mixes in these elements of sorrow and regret with, um, with things that are associated with earthly happiness. So those are a couple of good reasons, I think, why the Lord does what he does. You know, as you give that analogy, I can't help but think of something that C.S. Lewis says in The Weight of Glory uh, when he says that it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are mm -hmm. half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant mm -hmm. child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> Yeah, you know that that, that would have been a great quote for my book. <laughs> uh, well, you, you consult with me on the next one. I got all kinds of these in my back pocket, but I feel like he, Lewis is getting at the same kind of idea. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So in any case, it's 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 good to see that um, when we embrace with all our heart the happiness of heaven, um, all those delights of the earth, riches, the the um, applause of men, um, emotional and bodily pleasures, food and drink, all those things fade away, so much so that they become negligible in contributing to our happiness. And that's what Jesus wants you know, us to, to, to get to, that point he wants us to get to, because once we get to the point where the things of this earth are negligibly contributing to our happiness, then we can be happy. We can finally start to live already on earth, the happiness he's destined for, uh, destined us for in heaven. Uh, I like well, to give a little, met I'm sorry, go ahead. You got me thinking in this language of analogies, <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, let's say that you were a huge fan of Elvis's work. You know, you knew all the words to Hound Dog and Jailhouse Rock and all these things, and uh, you were listening to these songs, and somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, Elvis is actually, he's downstairs. Do you want to, do you want to meet him? And you'd be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just really into this song right now. <laughs> be yeah. like, uh, the object rather than the author of the object, uh, you know, you, you get, you get your priorities confused. That's really true. Yeah. When we, um, when we love more the, the, the creatures and the creator, you know, then obviously, um, we fail to love, you know, we fail to find happiness. Um, one example I like to give, when I was a little kid, I used to notice that the, the flies would all end up dead on the wind, windowsill, you know. So I asked my mom, why do the flies go to the windowsill to die? And she explained to me, well, it's not that they go there to die, they're trying to get out to where they see the light, and they just keep on bumping against the glass, they're too dumb you know, to do anything else. And I said, well, why don't they just go behind them through the open door? 
And she says, well, it's because it's dark that way, and their instinct just tells them to go to wherever they, they see light. And I thought later on as an adult, I said, well, that's perfect as an analogy for the Beatitudes. It's like we're sitting here just bumping our heads against the glass, thinking we're going to find happiness in the delights of this world that we know. And instead, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me through the darkness, and you'll find true, true freedom, you know? Yeah. We'd rather kill ourselves chasing the fake light than follow Christ through the darkness to the real light. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a challenging, challenging thought this morning. Father Sebastian Walsh, I'm very grateful for the conversation, very grateful for the book that you wrote. And if people want to find it, it's called Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Matt. God bless. All right, it is 16 minutes past the hour. we got headlines coming up next. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can save. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. It's always harder to get out of bed when it's cold outside. So give yourself something to look forward to, like Mystic Monk Coffee for the first cup of the day. You can find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, and we earn a commission on anything you buy through that link. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can buy through our online store. Check out the mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 18 passers, Anna with headlines. The death toll is at least nine, and fears are that the death toll will rise as historic amounts of rain have been pounding Southern California. In the Holy Land, Hamas is proposing a ceasefire and an eventual end to the war with Israel. And National Marriage Week begins today. Anna Mitchell, we're going to talk next hour with Father Tangora about this document on the Vatican saying you can't change the words at Mass. Right. Uh, I want or to read— <clears throat> For the sacraments. For the yeah. sacraments in general. Uh, I'm going to read an analysis of this, and I want you to tell me who you think wrote it. Oh, I can't wait. This person writes, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that the words in the baptismal formula were given to us by Christ himself, mm-hmm. also the words at Mass. Mm-hmm. They are not our words to change willy-nilly. There are important theological issues at stake. Take the example of a priest or deacon saying, I baptize you in the name of the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. I knew a priest who did this because it avoided 
gendered language. The difficulty is, I'm still quoting here, by the way, Mm -hmm. the early church rejected the idea that God was one person expressing himself in three manners, the heresy of modalism, and instead adopted belief in a Trinitarian God. These issues were addressed in the second century, so close to the actual revelation of Jesus Christ, we should be careful before overturning their conclusions. Ad-libbing is for the theater. The sacraments are real. Though the mountains fall, the sacraments will remain. They will cease only when we all get to heaven. That's good stuff. Yeah. Was that? Who was it? It's Michael Sean Winters over at the National Catholic Reporter. Really? I'm telling you. Wow. Some people might think this is like a, a progressive traditionalist issue or a left-right or conservative liberal issue. This is like a heart of the church issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... There are, there are foundational principles in foundational Catholicism, principles folks. <laughs> so nice. every Catholic nice. of every stripe yep. should care about this. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The Baltimore Catechism asks, When did Christ give his priests the power to change bread and wine into his body and blood? Christ gave his priests the power to change bread and wine into his body and blood when he said to his apostles, Do this in memory of me. When Christ asks us to do something, he gives us the power to do it. When he told the man, Stand up and walk. He didn't say to the man, well, if you can, try to stand up and we'll see what happens. No, when he gave the command, he also gave the power to stand up and walk. And so when he says to his apostles, do this in memory of me, he gives them the power to do it. So that what I have done, transforming bread and wine into my flesh and blood, I am going to give you the power to do. Thank you, Lord, for this great gift. Help us to recognize the power you have given priests so that we might keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on Wednesday morning. Father Rob Jack joining us now. He is host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio here in Cincinnati. Good morning, Father. Morning, Anna. So we're going to be talking about obedience today. And you sent me this article from... Catholic Exchange entitled, Why is Obedience Difficult Today? I mean, Father, it's it's really been a problem for the human race since, like, Genesis chapter 3, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It sure has. Uh, the whole question of obedience is 
today, at least, you know, who is going to tell me what to do? And the answer to that in our culture is nobody. It's so true. But why is obedience a good thing? Let's just kind of back up and start there. Well, obedience is a good thing because we live in a, in a world that's hierarchical. There are people that are responsible for others and that we trust that because of that, that they have our best interests at heart. And it, it's whether it could be in the family, it can be within the context of the church. One of the things as a priest and as a deacon is you grab the hands of the archbishop and he says, do you promise respect and obedience to me? And of course, the answer is yes. And I used to tease people. I said, ordination, that was the time the archbishop looked you right in the eye. I he wants believe to make it. Sure you're <laughs> obey. And the reason for that is it for the good of the church, but also for the good of souls, including the soul of the person to whom the bishop uh, is is the the teacher and the leader that we trust that what they're doing is for good because obedience is ultimately rooted in charity it's rooted in sanctification and the t- problem is is that that's its true understanding but that's not often how it's used exactly so talk about that how have why why do we resist being obedient well, it's because oftentimes we lack the trust of the person to whom we owe obedience. Uh, Constance in her article talks about this notion of nihilism, or the will to power, that obedience can be used instead as a way of badgering people, as a way of humiliating people, and not looking at what's good for them and good for the church or for the family, but simply it's a way for them to exercise their own ego. You know, like I said, the yeah. will to power. Nietzsche came up with that term. The, the um, We abuse authority. We have a disordered understanding of it. Why, do you, why are you asking me to do this? Because I can, or because yeah. I don't like you, or because you did something that I didn't like, and now it's payback time. Those are all u- misuses and abuses of the virtue of obedience. Yeah, and... And then on the, the, the flip side of that, I guess you could say, I mean, there are those of us who are given authority by by nature of our vocation. You know, me, I as a mom, for That's instance, right. how can my personal weaknesses as as just a fallen human being affect my motherhood and then therefore affect my kids attitude about obedience? Well, if you if you simply work of, of obedience in terms of a type of a convenience for things, it's convenient for them to obey you, but at the same time they watch and you don't obey others. You know, mm-hmm. mommy, you want me to do this, but you just ran a red light, or you just you told me not to use this language, but you're just using this language. Oh, my and, kids uh, catch me on that one all the time. There yeah. are certain words I tell them they're not allowed to use, and then they hear me use it. Yeah, yeah, so they say, bad. well, why should I follow that, Molly? Because you don't follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, and as I said, we live in a world today where it's all about personal autonomy. I serve no one but myself. And and that's where, you know, your vocation in, in many ways is, is was as a mother, and your husband's vocation as a father are far more important than mine, because, of course, you're teaching that example of obedience, just as priests do. You know, oftentimes priests have been getting in trouble because they refuse to uh, do what their bishop asks. 
And of course, we don't, we're not blind in our obedience. We just don't do everything because they say it. But sometimes it's just, we don't like it. Well, doesn't matter what we like. If, uh, if you've been in a parish for so many years and the bishop says it's time for you to go to another place, uh, well, I don't like that. Well, you know, you didn't say you were like it. You said you're going to be obedient. And again, oftentimes it's not a punishment. It's the fact that we got so few grace that you got to go where you're needed. And, uh, it, and obedience is, Father Groeschel used to say, obedience is not a fun virtue. You know, <laughs> uh, it's just not because it's again the question of learning what God's will is and trusting that those in authority, you know, are carrying out God's will for you. Yeah, and and trusting that ultimately God's will is our ultimate good, which is union with Him. That's exactly right. And at the beginning, you can't. This is where again obedience and the virtue of faith uh, comes in handy because we recognize, okay, this person wasn't given this authority for them to use and abuse it. They were given it for the common good. They were given it because. Uh, that person is co-responsible and you're pursuing holiness. And if you trust those things, you might not see it right away. But many times in later and later years or something, you're recognized, you know, that one thing I thought is actually what, really what God needed for me. And I've, I found my end to happiness. If I would have said no or just disobeyed, then I, I would have found myself in a much worse situation. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking to Father Rob Jack. If you're interested in reading the article that inspired this conversation, you can find it over at CatholicExchange.com by Constance Hull. And you can find Sacred Heart Radio so you can listen to Father Rob Jack in the afternoons uh, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Father, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Anna. Have a good day. You can find all of our guests, of course, linked at SonriseMorningShow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Israel today to discuss a possible temporary ceasefire in Gaza to release hostages. A proposal was hammered out in Paris last week in a meeting between Israel, the U.S., Egypt and Qatar that calls for an extended pause in the war between Israel and Hamas. In a statement yesterday, Hamas said it responded, quote, in a positive spirit, to a deal ensuring relief, shelter, and reconstruction in the Gaza Strip, and potentially leading to a prisoner swap. In Qatar yesterday, Blinken said there's still a lot of work to do, but stressed, quote, we continue to believe that agreement, an agreement is possible, end quote. In Washington, the House vote to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed. Brian Shook reports. Three Republicans joined Democrats in voting against the impeachment with the final tally tied at 215. Republican Speaker Mike Johnson told reporters ahead of the vote Mayorkas engaged in a complete dereliction of duty in his handling of the southern border. He accused the secretary of willfully refusing to enforce immigration laws. Had the vote passed, Mayorkas would have become the first cabinet official impeached in almost a century and a half. I'm Brian Shook. The House failed to advance a standalone bill yesterday that would provide almost $18 billion in aid for Israel. The final tally was 250 to 180, with Democrats overwhelmingly opposing the bill. President Biden had already said he would veto the bill if it hit his desk 
as both he and counterparts in the Senate are hoping for a broader foreign aid package. The death toll is at least nine after an historic amount of rain has pounded Southern California, dumped more than 13 inches in some areas, triggering mudslides and flooding. Authorities fear the death toll will continue to rise once the waters recede. It's been a year now since the earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria. A religious brother in Syria says the people there still live in fear. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Blue Mary's brother, George Sabe, lives in Aleppo, one of the Syrian northwest cities most affected by last year's earthquake. He explained to Vatican News' Alexandra Serugin that apart from the massive material damage to houses and buildings, leaving many displaced, the earthquake has left a deep psychological trauma on the population already marked by 13 years of war. One of the consequences of the war is the economic crisis compounded by the sanctions imposed on Syria. Although the international community claims they are not directed against the Syrian people, the sanctions heavily affect the population in daily life. Brother Sabir further lamented the scarce humanitarian aid from non-governmental organizations and the international community. He recalled that since January the 1st, the UN World Food Programme has stopped all aid to Syria. Personally, he said, I believe that on this point we don't have the right to abandon a suffering population. He therefore pleaded the international community not to abandon the Syrian people to their plight. Je lance un appel. Nous avons besoin de vivre dignement. We need to live with dignity, and aid from the world must help us get back on our feet, not reduce us to begging, he said. Despite this dark picture, according to Brother Sabi, there is still space for hope based on faith. And this is the main goal of the Blue Marist work in Aleppo. En tant que Mariste, nous sommes en train de travailler pour continuer à semer l'espérance dans le concret. We are working to continue sowing hope in concrete ways with food baskets, psychological support, education, promotion of human development and financial assistance to help pay rents. I am Lisa Zingarini. The mother of the Michigan school shooter who shot and killed four classmates and injured seven others at Oxford High School in November of 2021 has been found guilty on all counts in her historic involuntary manslaughter trial. Jennifer Crumbly and her husband James were both charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter, with prosecutors saying they ignored signs their son was having mental health struggles and allowed him access to guns. Jennifer is scheduled to be sentenced in April. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past the hour. The Sunrise Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. After his conversion, the repentant Augustine humbly used to say, O Lord, you have loosed my bonds. To you will I offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. Take note, I beg you how the heart of the saint was full of gratitude toward God. Certainly one of the most serious sins that people commit is forgetting the graces which they have received. When this ingratitude resides in the intellect, it is truly bad and dangerous because it passes on to the will and becomes such a vice that it makes a person completely forgetful of the debt of gratitude he or she owes to God. This is the greatest of all evils and one of the major impediments to grace. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. Well, here we are not very far into February, and it is almost time for Lent, which means it's almost time to do, well, it is time to to really get thinking about Something we do, it's an annual tradition here on the Sunrise Morning Show where we talk to Gary Zimak about giving up worry for Lent. He wrote a whole book about it. He's going all over the place talking to parishes about it. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so uh, how ready are you to do this thing? Oh, man, I am ready, brother. And, and, you know, I have to say that I just want to put the word out there. We're going to begin next week officially our annual Give Up Worry for Lent segments. But the book was selling like crazy yesterday. I looked at the Amazon charts, and it was it was through the roof. So you You've know, got in a the couple past, days to get it. So that's right, and we've <laughs> experienced sellouts. Exactly, and the book has sold out in the past. So if somebody's looking to get a copy of Give Up Worry for Lent, I think today is the time to do it while it's still in stock. Well, it tells me a couple things. One, it tells me that people like you, Gary. But more than that. It tells me that people are worried, and they don't want exactly. to be. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's, right. uh, that's a theme that I think a lot of us uh, are, are really trying to struggle with and wrestle with. It has been a weird start to the year for almost everybody I know. People have been sick. Uh, yeah. There's been weird stuff in the news. There's been all kinds of things. So what verse from the scriptures uh, do you want us to have in the background as we frame this whole thing kicking off Lent next week? You know, Matt, this is one of my favorite verses. I, I use this one in the introduction to give up worry for Lent. When I speak, I, I talk about this this verse. These are the first recorded words of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. And, and I really do believe that this frames Lent. And if we want to know how is it that we should do Lent, what, what are we supposed to do? These words make it clear. And again, this is these are the first recorded words of Jesus in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You know, we're going to unpack this over the course of the next few minutes, but what I like about this, Matt, is 
The Lord is saying to us, and if you apply it to Lent, it makes, it makes perfect sense. He's saying, now's the time. The time's here. Let's get busy. Listen to what I say. And I want you to convert internally. That word, repent, the original Greek that Mark used is the word metanoia, which is an internal change, or to think differently, or to change one's mind. So the Lord's looking for not just external actions during Lent, He's looking for an internal change, which will then lead to the external action. So the good thing about Lent is for those of us who are trying to get better, to try to become holier, to try to grow closer to Jesus, Lent has a beginning, and that's Ash Wednesday. And then it has an end. So we know when we're going to start. We know when we're going to end. For procrastinators like me, that's a reminder that, okay, here we go. Ready or not, Lent begins. Let's get busy. All right. I'm, I'm all about it. You know, and those words, repent and believe in the gospel, I mean, these are, these are some of the words that we hear when we get ashes, right? Exactly. Uh, there's, there's uh, I mean, this is the whole theme of Lent. Um, and, you know, we talk about worry and anxiety, and a lot of that worry is related to stuff we can't control, right? Um, right? I don't know about you, but anytime anybody mentions anything in the world of politics, I'm just like, ah, the world is insane and it's lost his mind. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I, I, I get so upset about stuff if, and I can't control that, right? Uh, there's all right. kinds of stuff I can't control. There's some stuff that, you know, I feel like if I just work harder on this or that or whatever, I, but there's a lot of stuff I can't control. But there's one thing I can control, Gary, that is, my ability to go into the box and confess my sins to priest and get forgiven in the person of Christ, right? Yeah. That's yeah. one worry, one thing that's bearing me down that I can resolve. Exactly. And, you know, one of the greatest sources of anxiety is uh, past sins or things we did wrong, guilt. The confessional is the place to go to to free ourselves or to let the Lord free us from that guilt and that that shame that we may have about things we may have done in the past. And you're right. When we worry, we are trying to control things that we can't control. But here is something we can control. We can go. We can confess our sins. We can be determined to make this a good Lent to the best of our ability, to do our part, to try to read some Scripture, to try to walk with the Lord, to try to really turn away from those things which keep us apart from Him. All of those things are totally in our control. You know, I'm I'm so glad that more people seem to be picking up on this as a good starting point <laughs> for helping to to relieve this anxiety and also just to get right with God. When I first came into the church back in 2005, uh, I remember I'd go to confession and it'd be like me and like two little old ladies on a Saturday yeah. afternoon in the line. There's like nobody there. I had uh, had the run of the place. Uh, these days, uh, when I go to confession, I'm like. Man, I gotta get there like 15 minutes before it starts because the place yeah. is packed. I don't know if this is the yeah. case where you are, but I feel like this is something that people have started to realize the value of, uh, so much so that there's a line out the door half the time when I go. Yeah, which is fantastic, and I agree with you. This is a great thing, and and I love the sacrament of confession. And and you know, I'd, I'd really like to speak to anybody who maybe hasn't gone in a long time. Lent is the perfect time to begin. And, and to start over, you know, the Lord's waiting for you. Don't hold back. Go talk to, talk to him and, and confess your sins. Matt, I just want to tell you quickly, last year I was giving a parish mission in, um, in Illinois, 
And after the parish, and I always talk about confession as, as, a, as a really a good practice. And at the end of the talk, the pastor called me when I, was, when I had already left. He called me up. He said, Gary, I just want to let you know that what you did, your mission, is really bearing good fruit. And I said, well, well how so? He said that there was a, a woman there who came to me for confession, and she said it's been a long time since she's been there. And it's because of something you said, the pastor told me. And I said, oh, that's, that's really great, Father. How long has it been since she, was, uh, since she had gone to confession? And he said, 65 years. <laughs> so, Matt, I got to tell you, yeah, that, that blew me away. That, that's my record. <laughs> I can't believe that's, that. Uh, that'd be a lot of people's record. That's what they yeah. call a big fish. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. You know, and, and sometimes the thing that's people keeping people away is their their fear. Um, we had a a guy on the journey home. His episode is going to be airing soon. Who had just a whole mess of stuff in his past. Uh, raised Catholic, fell away, did all yeah. kinds of things, um, and you know used to feel completely judged anytime he'd pop his head back into a church, and that you know felt fear, felt ashamed, uh, but was was weighted down by all this stuff. And then he discovered this quote. And I, I got to find out who said this quote. He says, the devil knows our names, but he calls us by our sins. Wow. Jesus knows our sins, but he calls us by our name, right? Ugh. So really that, that double trick of the devil telling us that, you know, you, you can do this sin. There's not going to be a big deal. And then once you commit it, uh, the tables turn and the devil comes back at you and says, you can never recover from this one, <laughs> right? Wow, yeah. But what the church says is, come on back, repent, and believe in the gospel. Right. Right. There's always hope. There's always hope. Forgiveness is, is waiting for us. And, you know, like you said, and I, and I think that's the most important thing for us to remember. This is, this is within our control. We can control this. We can make this decision. And I don't know about, I, I do know about you. I was going to say I don't know about you. But I know, Matt, that you and I both believe in the power of frequent confession. And, the, and, and I find that the more you go, the more you receive the sacrament, all of a sudden, you start thinking about more and more sins, and I originally I felt like, "Wow, this is not working. I'm I'm headed in the wrong direction." And then I talked to a priest, and he said, "No, that's exactly what's happening. You were you were unaware of your sins, and now the grace given to you through the sacrament is making you more aware of the sins that you are committing." But it's also making you stronger. The Catechism reminds us that the effects of the sacrament of confession are not just forgiveness, but strength. Uh, oh, to, yeah. to go face it the next time around. Uh, Gary Zimak, I hope that people are uh, excited as I am to give up worry for Lent starting next week. We've got followingthetruth.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Matt. God bless. All right, Dr. Matthew Bunsen joins us next to talk about Blessed Pope Pius IX on his feast day. It's 14 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. 
Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Mamas in Spirit is a mini retreat and a podcast for Catholic women talking about how God has converted their hearts and transformed their lives, opening hearts to the boundless love of God. You can hear Mamas in Spirit as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. I messed up. Dr. Matthew Bunsen is not next. He's at the end of next hour. Next so you're going to have to listen for a whole other hour. But we got Joseph Pierce coming up after headlines with Anna Mitchell. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Israel today to discuss a possible temporary ceasefire in Gaza. The death toll is at least nine after historic amounts of rain have pounded Southern California. And... It's been a year since the earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria. The Sunrise Morning Show. Right now, it is 11 till. A visiting fellow of Thomas More College of Liberal Arts, also editor of the St. Austin Review. But if you want to find out where all the threads come together, go to jpierce.co and especially consider joining the Inner Sanctum there. Joseph, good morning. Good morning, Matt. We've been going through English history and your book uh, that really gets into that big time, <laughs> and it's uh, called Faith of Our Fathers. But uh, I'm going to ask you three questions in pretty quick succession. What was the act of uniformity? When did it happen? And who was involved? Well, the act of uniformity was uh, a law passed shortly after Queen Elizabeth I ascended to the throne uh, in 1558. It was actually passed in 1559. And basically, it made it, it, it made the, the mass illegal. It made the sacraments illegal. It specifically repudiated the doctrine of the real presence uh, of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, and it made the Protestant service compulsory. So the, the mass was made illegal, and, and everybody, Catholics or whatever, irrespective of your uh, freedom of conscience or religious persuasions, everybody was forced by law to attend the. Um, the Protestant service on Sundays. All right, so what was a penalty if you didn't do that? Well, um, for, for, for priests uh, that refused, it was a loss of income, a loss of a, um, a year's income, and um, uh, six months imprisonment, and the loss of their, uh, of their job. Um, um, and then uh, if, they, if they refused subsequently, they, they actually got a life sentence in prison. And for, and for lay, lay people who uh, even criticized the Protestant service, let alone... Um, refused to attend, uh, they, were, they, were, they were charged in today's money the equivalent of about $30,000. Okay, so that's pretty hefty, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and someone might say, well, it's just, a, it's, just, it's just church on Sunday. Uh, we, can, 
we can go along this with this to get along. There were those who outright refused and did so in heroic fashion. But I imagine there were a lot of people who were like, I don't want to pay $27,000. And a lot of people who were like, I don't want to spend life in prison. So I imagine that there was kind of a, 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 a range of reactions to this act. There was. And, and, you know, and what I am actually very encouraged by is how much, un- unlike uh, during the reign of Henry VIII, when all of the bishops completely and utterly caved in except for St. John Fisher, um, you know, all of the bishops basically virtually stood together in defiance of the act of uniformity. But the, the problem was the Queen Elizabeth's government and, and the Protestant-controlled parliament were absolutely ruthless, and, and they basically removed all of these bishops from their seats, replaced them with Protestants. So you know, it became very clear that, that uh, uh, being defiant and uh, defiant acts of conscience would come at a high price. And, you know, this obviously did lead many people to think, well, I'm, I'm just going to shut up, even if I hate what's happening and, and, and detest the government, I, I'm not going to you know, put my neck on the block. All right, so there are a lot of complex questions that can be addressed out of this. Uh, one of them is that if a religion is built on devotion of its followers, right, if a church is alive because the people there are alive with the power of the Holy Spirit and going there to learn and grow and love in Christ, then you're going to see some really interesting things happen in, the, in those churches, right? You're going to see life spring forth in those ways. But when people are going to church or do, treating church a, sever, a certain way because the government said so, I imagine that that doesn't evoke the same kind of response. No, in fact, you know, that, that very, very destructive seeds were being sown here by this government coercion. So, you know, in, in the Middle Ages, I mean, there's several chapters in my book about what I call Merry England. That's England, you know, from the time of uh, the Norman Conquest in 1066 to... Uh, to Henry VIII's uh, tyranny in the 1530s. Uh, in Mary England, it's a living faith. There are, there are fairs across the country, festivals on saints' days. There are pilgrimage, pilgrimage sites and shrines all over the country, and the people are going on pilgrimages regularly. This is a living faith. But now we've got a situation where the majority of the people in England at the beginning of Elizabeth's reign are still Catholics, uh, and they're being forced against their conscience to attend a service, a religious service, with which they disagree. Now, all that's going to do, of course, is, first of all, harbor resentment against the government and against the religion that's being forced upon them. But subsequently, you know, after a couple of generations, what's going to be replaced by a godless cynicism? And this is what we find in England in the 18th century. You know, 200, well, about 150 years what you years find in this. England today in a large part, actually. <laughs> well, well, exactly. But the, the, what we find in England today, those, those seeds were sown then uh, with, with, with the act of uniformity and had come to already come to basically cynical fruition by the 1700s. I mean, you know, what we see now is this playing itself out, you know, two or three hundred years after that. Well, if you treat religion like membership in the homeowners association <laughs> i mean what kind of results do you expect really yeah exactly but it's even worse than that because you uh, well I, actually i must have i've never lived in a neighborhood like that you, maybe you do have to join the homeowners association <laughs> but uh, yeah. the point is this is, not, this is not a voluntary association this is something which you are coerced into uh, participating in against your conscience you know this this is this is about as bad as it can get it's equivalent to what was going on in the Soviet Union and in Nazi Germany, quite frankly. Is this the era when Shakespeare would have been rolling around? Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, Shakespeare was not quite born. Um, so the, the acting of Warmbottie is 1559. He was born in 1564. But his, both of his parents were recusant Catholics, which means they were this defiant, 
courageous majority who did not attend the Anglican services and pay fines. So um, that's, that's, the, that's the family uh, in which William Shakespeare would be growing up during this age of tyranny. He'd be born into this age of tyranny five years after the passing of the Act of Uniformity. It just brings so much color to the understanding of Shakespeare's writings and works, which have so often to do with bad kings, <laughs> you know, and bad monarchs. Uh, it, it is fascinating to know that, that this is the era that he would have grown up in, and that would have flavored some of his writing. It's very much important for us to know the age of Shakespeare in order to understand the works of Shakespeare. And that's been a large part of my work on Shakespeare, is to contextualize our reading of Shakespeare in the light of who Shakespeare was and the times in which he lived. Well, there's a lot more to say about all this, Joseph. Uh, But I know that you've not only discussed it in Faith of Our Fathers, but you mentioned with Shakespeare that you've got a lot of other resources on him as well, many of them available through your inner sanctum. If our listeners want to connect with you, find some of those things, dig deeper into this era, learn more about the Act of Uniformity and more, how do they do so? Well, the best one-stop place to find out about everything that I'm doing, reading, writing, speaking, podcasts, etc., is to go to my personal website, jpierce.co. And if you want exclusive content, once you get there, you can join the Inner Sanctum. And I encourage you to do so if you are able. Always cool stuff going on over there. Joseph Pierce, thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. My pleasure, Matt. God bless you. Well, for many of you listening across the EWT and Global Catholic Radio Network, there's another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up, in which I do promise we will have Dr. Matthew Bunsen on to talk about Pope Pius IX on this, his feast day. We're back right after the break. Please do stay with us if you can. It is three minutes till. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. It is Wednesday, the 7th of February, and today just happens to be the Feast of Blessed Pope Pius IX. Let's pray a prayer that he wrote uh, in honor of Our Lady, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. O Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us your mother Mary, whose renowned image we venerate, to be a mother ever ready to help us, grant we beseech you, Lord, that we who constantly implore her motherly aid may merit to enjoy perpetually the fruits of your redemption who live and reign forever and ever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Blessed Pope Pius IX, pray for us. A lot more about him coming up later this hour with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. You can see us on video in the Facebook and YouTube live streams. Those are linked in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm in a weird-looking place because I'm uh, in Ohio taping episodes of The Journey Home. So thank you for your patience. If you want to see what my hotel room looks like, you know, I'm really living it up over here. Up this hour, I did mention Dr. Bunsen at the very end of the hour is going to talk about Pope Pius IX on his feast day. We'll catch up with Father Philip Michael Tangora here in just a couple minutes to discuss the new doctrinal note from the Vatican on why you can't change the words. 
surrounding the sacraments. Carlo Broussard will uh, join us from Catholic Answers, also Catherine Fishlock with some more liturgical catechesis. So do stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past. News is a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Israel today to discuss a possible temporary ceasefire in Gaza to release hostages. A proposal was hammered out in Paris last week in a meeting with Israel, the U.S., Egypt and Qatar all present, which calls for an extended pause in the war between Israel and Hamas. In a statement yesterday, Hamas said it responded in a positive spirit to a deal ensuring relief, shelter and reconstruction in the Gaza Strip and potentially leading to a prisoner swap. In Qatar yesterday, Blinken said there's still a lot of work to do, but stressed, quote, we continue to believe that an agreement is possible. In Washington, the Senate border deal that includes funding for Ukraine and Israel appears to be dead ahead of a key vote. Mark Mayfield reports. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told Well, apparently that story is not going to work at the moment. We will move on. A death, the death toll is at least nine after an historic amount of rain pounded Southern California. The storm has dumped more than 13 inches in some areas, triggering mudslides and flooding. Authorities fear the death toll will continue to rise once the waters recede. Some people were killed by falling trees as the storm made its way south from Northern California, while others died in vehicle accidents caused by the dangerous conditions. The Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster has offered his prayers for King Charles III. It was announced this week that the king has been diagnosed with cancer. Buckingham Palace is not revealing the type of cancer or his prognosis, but did say the 75-year-old king began regular treatments on Monday. Cardinal Vincent Nichols said in a social media post that he was saddened to learn the news. He said, quote, on behalf of the entire Catholic community in England and Wales, I offer His Majesty our warmest wishes and assurance of steadfast prayers for his full and speedy recovery. He said, God bless the King. Around a thousand priests from 60 countries around the world have gathered in Rome for a conference on clerical formation under the theme, Rekindle the Gift of God that is Within You. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. Cardinal Lazarus Yu, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Clergy, opened the Conference on Clerical Formation by recalling the moment Pope Francis appointed him to his current role. On that day, he said, a bishop friend of mine told me, now you are responsible for ensuring that all the priests in the world are happy. These, Cardinal Yu said, are words that I have never been able to forget and that constantly accompany me in the service of mine. It was this remark, the Korean-born prelate said, that had led him to organize the conference. Many priests today, he noted, are tired and discouraged, caught off guard by the challenges of today's society and the burdens they carry. Thus, he said, the importance of providing priests with the necessary support and accompaniment, and thus the need for ongoing formation, has increasingly come to the forefront. 
Then, Cardinal Tagle, Prefect of the Dicastery for Evangelization, which is co-sponsoring the conference, also offered a few words before proceedings got underway. He stressed firstly that priests must not think that their formation ends once they have been ordained. Rather, he said, it is precisely because we are ordained to the service of God and the Church that we need to be continuously formed. Secondly, Cardinal Tagle said that priests need ongoing education to overcome the tendency to absolutize and glorify one's culture. Ordained ministers, he said, must learn the cultural intelligence to appreciate one's culture, but also to admit the brokenness of one's culture and to affirm the good elements in other cultures. Finally, noting that many priests are close to people who suffer or are indeed greatly suffering themselves, Cardinal Tagle called for clerical formation that addresses wounds and pains that could easily lead to vindictiveness, cynicism and hatred. I'm Francesca Merlo. National Marriage Week begins today. The U.S. bishops this week announced the theme for the celebration this year, Love Beyond Words. They say in a statement, it recalls the self-sacrificing love in marriage that is rooted in the wedding promises that the couple makes in matrimony. And the oldest living person in the United States is celebrating another milestone. Edith Edie Riccogno Keenan Cacciarelli turned 116 on February 5th. That, according to the Gerontology Research Group, her town of Willits, California, threw a birthday bash for her with a parade despite the rain and wind throughout the region. Her birthday celebration has become an annual event in recent years. I would imagine so. 116? Wow. That's that's pretty impressive. I want to know what takes up more space on the birthday cake, the candles or her name? <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you say your name was? Edith Riccogno Keenan Cacciarelli. Happy birthday, dear Edith Riccogno Keenan Cacciarelli. Happy birthday to you. I think they probably just say happy birthday, Edie. But I could Maybe be so. wrong. I could be wrong. I don't want to go changing the words on them. That's not, I don't have the authority to do that. But I tell you what. Is that a good enough transition? I had 40 candles and it was, I thought it was the burning of Atlanta. So. Mm. Not good. Not good. Well, you know. Matt, we've gotten old. Every new candle is a new opportunity. We've got. We've gotten old. That was so meaningful, Matt. What a meaningful statement. Every candle, a new opportunity. That's beautiful. Another year around the sun. I'm going to be pondering that. time to have some fun. All day long, I'm going to be pondering that one. All right. Well, the Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's always great to catch up with Canon Law correspondent, as it were, Father Philip Michael Tangora. He joins us from the state of New Jersey. Father Tangora, good morning. Good morning, and I guess you just don't want too many opportunity. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I do my best to try and make it through another year when I can, when I can. (laughs) So the Vatican released a doctrinal note uh, from the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, Justus Verbisque, which I've pronounced terribly every time I've said it. And it has to do with changing the words around the sacraments and why you should not do it. Now, Father, I want to come at this from a a little bit of a a quirky angle, and I'm very curious about your thoughts. So there are perhaps some voices out there uh, wondering how this sort of rigorous defense of the language around the sacraments uh, squares with Pope Francis's emphasis on being, quote unquote, pastoral. Uh, But it seems to me 
both from this doctrinal note and from the very long track record of Pope Francis, that he understands that the church's top pastoral priority is safeguarding the sacraments so the people who come to us for grace and mercy know they're getting it from a stable source. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, yes, uh, that is true. But I, I want to I just back up a little bit. You know, we've had this problem before. So since the uh, Council of Trent, it was a matter of divining Catholic faith, the De Fide Catholica, that uh, the priest ministers in the person of Jesus Christ and in the name of the Church. And the issue has began, you could see it after the Second Vatican Council, where there was the amorphous spirit of Vatican II that people would love to quote and be able to say, oh, well, we're being more pastoral by changing things around and not using being rigorous to the text and all this kind of thing. That kind of got shot down. But what wound up happening under the pontificate of Pope Francis is that people aren't referring to the amorphous spirit of Vatican II anymore, but they are referring to the pastoral tendencies of uh, Pope Francis, and they're using that to justify, yet again, an amorphous uh, pastoral reality that seems to uh, supersede doctrine, supersede canon law, supersede all the uh, structures and definitions that the Church has for itself to be able to keep form and matter and shape and intention uh, the realities that they are. And so as much as I would say that, yes, you're right in saying that Pope Francis has never said something explicit to say, oh yeah, go ahead and change things around, he has created the environment where people would uh, cite him as the source of where they feel they have this liberty. Yeah, I, I've found that uh, on the ground in a lot of these places, uh, people don't really care about the Pope's authority or not when they go <laughs> doing these things. They care about themselves and how they feel in the moment. I, I think that's part of the, the issue here is is not understanding that the Church does not—the uh, Church doesn't even own the sacraments, right? The, they are received from Christ himself. So if the church doesn't own the sacraments, just receives them, then far less does Deacon Bob own those sacraments, right? I mean, there's there's right. uh, there's something that I think is tremendously egotistical, whether people realize it or not, about thinking that mm -hmm. you're the one who, after 2,000 years, can switch this up. Yes. The, the heresy of our day, and I've said this for many, many years, is autopapism, where you make yourself the pope. And so you make yourself the definer of all the parameters and teachings of our religion. And that is the single most uh, grave issue that the Church is really dealing with these days. Everybody has made themselves the Pope. And so they can say, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way, and I, I have this authority, and I, I'm evoking this authority, or whatever it is. And it is hubris. It is absolute hubris, but it is also this false notion like you're hinting at and what this document is hinting at is the fact that, like, you know, the sacraments, the Church is the guardian, the receiver of these sacraments, and the protector 
the custodian of their authentic celebration. And that's why it's important for us to realize that it is not about us. And even when ministering and celebrating the sacraments, we're celebrating them in the person of Jesus Christ, because it's the action of Jesus Christ. It is not the action of Father Bob or Father Phil or Bishop Smith or anything like that. No, it's the action of Jesus Christ. The priest is merely the instrument that is being used by Christ to mediate his sacramental realities. Yeah, and I, if people are wondering, like, why, why, how deep does this go? Like, I mean, really, it, it sounds just like words. It's not a big deal. But I have to think back to the fall of Lucifer. I mean, what is the sin of Satan? God creates and makes and brings into being, and Satan looks at it and says, not good enough for me. I think I know better than this. Right? I mean, that's ultimately where you trace this kind of attitude back. So we have yeah. to guard against that. I mean, it's one of the most dangerous spiritual uh, you know, maladies that we can adopt. A, a more positive view might be the fact that Jesus Christ is the eternal Word, Word of God, the meaning, the rationality. And it's the Word of God that is being communicated to the bread, water, and wine that is bringing about the consecration, the change of its very substance. Uh, at baptism, it's the Word that is being uh, proclaimed and uh, used in the pouring of the water, because it's baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's those words that are communicating to that infant or that adult who's being baptized. It's the communication of that word. So the communication of the word to the recipient uh, is an integral part of the celebration of every single sacrament, because it's the communication of Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. You know, the I, words uh, matter. <laughs> I, I will just say this. If I'm in my final breaths and a priest comes in to give me the sacraments in that final moment, I don't want him messing with the formula. I want him to go exactly. by the book. <laughs> right. I want him to go exactly. by the book. Father Tangora, exactly. thank you so much. I, I appreciate you and uh, your perspective and all the great stuff you do and helping us get a handle on some of these questions. Have a great day. Absolutely. God bless everybody. All right. All right 16 past. Back after this. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into. And that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save many families up to 500 bucks a month. And that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. 
If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Thursday night, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Hamas is proposing a ceasefire and an eventual end to the war with Israel. The Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster has offered his prayers for King Charles III, who this week announced he had been diagnosed with cancer. And National Marriage Week begins today. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, Anna Mitchell, uh, it was great to see you in person last night. I know it. I broadcast from Maryland. You broadcast from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. But I'm in the Columbus area. We're taping some Journey Home episodes. And one of the guests taping today, his episode will air in the spring, is well-known to our Catholic radio audience. Celebrity. The one and only Jack Williams. Uh, Jack Williams of EWTN. He's uh, general manager of radio. And turns out... He wasn't always a Catholic, Mm -hmm. so we're going to dig into that uh, and looking forward to sharing that here in in the uh, coming months. So it was really fun. fun. I had never met Jack in person before last night. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've I've been on um, I've been on a television show with him where I was joining via Skype. Um, yeah. That he was hosting, so I've seen him before, but not in person. You, we, we should start calling him. I don't know if he's listening right now. What if we started calling him Jack Bankovic? <laughs> he did he tell us last, last night. night. He, yeah, that he goes around and everybody's like uh, calls him just Johnette's husband, you know, because uh, <laughs> you know it, it is it is funny, man. Uh, they're they're a funny pair, and of course. Jack's got all those those radio catchphrases. You catch him, you know, screening calls for people uh, mm-hmm. in the afternoon. And he he tries to make it fun. So he says he's got some sort of epic joke to share during part of his journey. I'm looking oh. forward to that. I hope it's uh, the level of dad joke that I'm able to approve of. Well, the two of you were going but, back and forth for a little while last night. Yeah, it was, it good, was times. good times. Entertaining. It was, uh, those of you watching the video stream can see Anna Mitchell rolling her eyes. Don't hurt yourself. Detach a retina doing that. It's 21 minutes past the hour. You subscribe to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes. When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, 
go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Universal Prayer by Pope Clement XI. Lord, I believe in you, but let me believe more strongly. I hope in you, but let me hope more confidently. I love you, but let me love you more ardently. I adore you as my first beginning. I long for you as my last end. I praise you as my constant benefactor. I call upon you as my loving protector. Guide me by your wisdom. Hold me by your justice. Comfort me with your mercy. Protect me with your power. I offer you, Lord, my thoughts, that they may be fixed on you. My words, that they may be about you. My actions, that they may be regulated by you. My sufferings, that they may be endured for you. Enlighten my mind. Inflame my will. Purify my heart. Sanctify my soul. Grant that I may prepare for death, be concerned about judgment, flee from hell, and obtain paradise through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Carlo Broussard is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers and host of the Sunday Catholic Word podcast. Find him online and everything he does at carlobroussard.com. Invite him to speak through catholicanswersspeakers.com. We're going through his book, The New Relativism. Good morning, Carlo. Hey, good morning, Anna. So we're continuing to unmask and refute the relativism that we find in the secular modern commandment, thou shalt not harm, which we've described basically like, well, as long as you don't hurt anybody else, do what you feel like. Which, I mean, okay, we've at least pointed out that, okay, at least they recognize that hurting people is a bad thing. And, well, you in this book, I'm so impressed at how many chinks you just like slam into well i guess it wouldn't be chinks at that point just major (laughs) dents that you put in this armor that they have the question is i mean what can hurt someone right you you talk about this in relation to like an unfaithful spouse or a drugged rape victim talk about this yeah so in that case say an unfaithful spouse who is on a business trip and is being unfaithful to his beloved and committing adultery, there is no quote-unquote harm done, at least according to this modern moral imperative, as they define harm, right? Mm -hmm. And so if that is the case and no harm is done, there's no, nobody's hurting anybody, then according to the logic of this moral imperative, we would have to thereby conclude that this unfaithful spouse is really not being unfaithful because there's no unfaithfulness there to be had. There's no wrong there to be had, because remember, the only criterion according to this moral framework is you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt or harm anybody. 
since no harm or hurt has been done in this case, it follows, according to that logic, that there is no immorality in the adulterous case. Or if you have an unconscious patient or, or, a, per, or a girl who is drugged at the bar and somebody is uh, raping the individual, there is no physical harm that is done in this scenario. According to the logic of this moral imperative, we would have to thereby conclude that no quote-unquote immorality is done because no harm was done. But and Carlo, think- that doesn't make any sense. That girl didn't give any consent for that. So, of course, she's uh, harmed, right? Well, now you've just allowed for a new category of quote-unquote harm that the traditional natural law person, like myself and any person of traditional morality, would say, oh, so now you're allowing for behaviors that would thwart certain natural direction of powers, right? So in that case, you have thwarted the self-determining power of the individual, of the girl, that should be had, that self-determining power, when it comes to sexual issues. And so now there is room for us to be able to analyze other kinds of behaviors, like regular sexual behaviors that we traditionally consider immoral, such as fornication, pornography, and same-sex sexual activity, and say, aha, those behaviors also thwart powers that are naturally directed to certain goals or ends. And so the principle that would allow for us to judge the rape of the girl who's unconscious, who did not give her consent, would allow for us to judge immoral the other kinds of behaviors that we traditionally consider to be immoral. So if that counter-response arises, then it's no longer harm restricted to the physical sense. Now, we're allowing for harm that is done to the individual in the sense of an injustice. Mm. And so then the question arises, well, is there an injustice, i.e. harm being done, to others in other kinds of behaviors that we're dealing with within our contemporary culture, such as so-called same-sex reassignment surgery? Is that an injustice being done to the person? That's a good question to ask. Same-sex sexual activity, is that an injustice being done towards the other That's a great question to ask. Of course, I would answer yes in both of those cases, and we'd have to defend that. But at least you can see how now there is another category of quote-unquote harm that we can begin to analyze and think through. Right. Let's dig into that a little bit more, because you were mentioning the natural law here in terms of of saying, well, if somebody doesn't give their consent— then then that is harming them. And and so right. how does that then relate to the natural moral law? Can you just connect those two things a, a little more firmly for us to get it get it straight in our heads? Yeah. So by nature, we are self-determining beings. We have the power to freely choose to engage in behavior. And especially when it comes to sexual acts, those acts need to be proceeding coming from freedom and a free choice and free consent. But notice how this analysis arises out of our nature and what's good for us as human beings. So for an individual to sexually coerce another individual to thwart that self-determining power where it ought to be had, that's a violation against 
the individual and the dignity of the individual as a human being. And so there you have natural law allowing for us to judge the, the na- our human nature, the order of good inscribed in our nature, allowing for us to judge that that sort of human behavior would be contrary to the good of the other individual. And here's the key relative to this chapter. If it's contrary to that person's good and I, and I engage in that behavior, then I am, quote unquote, hurting that individual, harming that individual in a moral sense, doing an injustice to the other person and harming myself because I'm harming my moral character. We got to leave it there for now. Carlo, thank you. Thank you, Anna. Have a great day. You too. We'll continue that discussion next time we get together in the new relativism. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Hamas is proposing a ceasefire and an eventual end to the war with Israel. The plan, a response to a proposal put together by Qatari and Egyptian mediators, would see three phases lasting 45 days each. It calls for remaining Israeli hostages captured in the October 7th attacks on Israel to be returned in exchange for prisoners, followed by an exchange of bodies and remains. The truce would also allow more aid to come into Gaza where there is widespread hunger and lack of medicine among the people. In Washington, a House vote to impeach DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed. Brian Shook reports. Three Republicans joined Democrats in voting against the impeachment with the final tally tied at 215. Republican Speaker Mike Johnson told reporters ahead of the vote Mayorkas engaged in a complete dereliction of duty in his handling of the southern border. He accused the secretary of willfully refusing to enforce immigration laws. Had the vote passed, Mayorkas would have become the first cabinet official impeached in almost a century and a half. I'm Brian Shook. The death toll is at least nine after an historic amount of rain has pounded Southern California. The storm dumped more than 13 inches in some areas, triggering mudslides and flooding. Authorities fear the death toll will continue to rise once the waters recede. It's been a year now since the earthquake that struck and devastated Turkey and Syria. A religious brother in Syria says the people are still living in fear. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Blue Mary's brother, George Sabeh, lives in Aleppo, one of the Syrian northwest cities most affected by last year's earthquake. He explained to Vatican News Alexandra Serugan that apart from the massive material damage to houses and buildings, leaving many displaced, the earthquake has left a deep psychological trauma on the population already marked by 13 years of war. One of the consequences of the war is the economic crisis compounded by the sanctions imposed on Syria. Although the international community claims they are not directed against the Syrian people, the sanctions heavily affect the population in daily life. Brother Sabeh further lamented the scarce humanitarian aid from non-governmental organizations and the international community. He recalled that since January the 1st, the UN World Food Programme has stopped all aid to Syria. Personally, he said, I believe that on this point we don't have the right to abandon a suffering population. He therefore pleaded the international community not to abandon the Syrian people to their plight. Je lance un appel. Nous avons besoin de vivre dignement. We need to live with dignity, and aid from the world must help us get back on our feet, not reduce us to begging, he said. 
Despite this dark picture, according to Brother Sabi, there is still space for hope based on faith. And this is the main goal of the Blue Marist work in Aleppo. En tant que Mariste, nous sommes en train de travailler pour continuer à semer l'espérance dans le concret. We are working to continue sowing hope in concrete ways with food baskets, psychological support, education, promotion of human development and financial assistance to help pay rents. I am Lisa Zingarini. The mother of the Michigan school shooter who killed four classmates and injured seven others at Oxford High School back in November of 2021 has now been found guilty on all counts in an historic involuntary manslaughter trial. Jennifer Crumbly and her husband James were both charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter, with prosecutors saying they ignored signs that their son was having mental health struggles. Jennifer is scheduled to be sentenced in April. The Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster has offered his prayers for King Charles III. It was announced this week the king has been diagnosed with cancer. Buckingham Palace has not revealed the type or the prognosis, but did say he began regular treatments on Monday. Cardinal Vincent Nichols said on social media he was saddened to learn the news and said, on behalf of the entire Catholic community of England and Wales, I offer His Majesty our warmest wishes and assurance of steadfast prayers for his full and speedy recovery. That's the news. It's 35 past. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. What does the church say about original sin? Whatever else one might say about sin, it's the manifestation of a man's use of free will in a way contrary to God's will. Adam and Eve made a choice, a choice that was possible only because God permitted it through free will. By their acts, pain and death and misery and every other kind of displeasure would befall the whole human race as sin was brought into the world. But the reality is that the holiness that once was theirs prior to the fall of these first two was also ours by virtue of the parent-child relationship. What they lost, they could not pass on. And so their first sin has placed all of us under a bondage by which Satan seeks to cause us also to abuse the freedom God so lovingly has given each of us. It is only when we willingly choose to abuse that freedom that we take personal responsibility for the effects of original sin. For more information, consult your local pastor or refer to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 388 through 421. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show here in studio, Catherine Fishlock, 
the Sunrise Morning Show music teacher. Good morning, Catherine. It's good, good to morning. see you. It's good to be here. So last time we were together, Catherine, we uh, we discussed a New Year's resolution that that you encourage parish music programs to take up, which was basically lead parishioners to greater holiness through what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we are entering upon this sort of pre-Lent season. Um, so I imagine this is the time that that parishes, mm-hmm. parish leaders are are starting to think about like, okay, what are we going to do for Lent right. as a parish? Right. Um, because Lent is a time that we are supposed to be growing in holiness. And mm-hmm. so a parish obviously has a big role to play in that, especially through the Mass. So I know you've got a few suggestions. Right. Um, yeah, well, you know, I think uh, Holy Mother Church is always giving us a fresh starts, new opportunities, yeah. you know, to try again and start again and do something a little mm-hmm. different if it wasn't working before, you know. Um, right, it's also, like Mardi Gras, like New Year's <laughs> Eve, and then Ash Wednesday is like New Year's Day, right. let's start again. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, I think uh, that delineation of the seasons is so important to our spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And um, Lent, especially, you know, because it's, even though Advent is also supposed to be more of a time of of waiting and and sort of a penitential spirit, I think we really focus that in Lent more more so. Um, But I think, uh, yeah, I think collectively as a parish, it would be wonderful if there were things that you, that, that were done because so everybody would be aware of them, you know, rather than just saying, hey, try to do some extra things for Lent you know, or try to give up something, you know what I mean? It's, well, we it's more are of a, the body of Christ, right, so exactly. we, we should be doing this together right. in what ways we can. So one of the things that um, that I think is a really beautiful way for the for the music program to to emphasize the, the season of Lent is to, um, is to think about adding the seasonal Marian antiphon. Mm. Um, either towards the end of Mass, maybe after communion, or maybe even after the final blessing before the hymn. Yeah. Um, and because we know that we have these seasonal antiphons to mm-hmm. the Blessed Mother, so that you know she is a part of the she's the part of the life of the church all year round. Yeah. Right. And so um, the we have the the ordinary time the salve regina mm-hmm. the uh the the advent and christmas season that we just stepped away from the alma redemptoris mater mater yeah. right mm-hmm. and uh the lenten antiphon which is the ave regina celorum looking forward to you know she she is the queen of heaven and she yeah. gave us her this this man this god man so that we could all gain heaven yeah um so that's one idea musically yeah yeah and i want to return to that in a moment because mm-hmm. you're going to sing for us the Ave Regina right. Celorum um, just to let people know how easy it is to <laughs> to learn. Um, but another suggestion I know you have is um, even simpler, you don't even have to sing, mm-hmm. would be to to add the, the St. Michael prayer at Absolutely. the end of Mass. Why do you think that would help? Absolutely. I just, you know, I think, so when I was, when I was a kid, um, at the end of mass, we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't like just dash out of church. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't this mass exodus from the pews at the instant. You know, the first the hymn was over, or even halfway through the hymn, there was always a prayer of thanksgiving. You always yeah. knelt down and said your prayers of thanksgiving, and that was you didn't launch into conversation with your neighbor. Uh, you know, oh, three no. pews back, like, <laughs> hey, good to see you. 
No? Absolutely oh. not. Yeah. Oh, okay. And and uh, that's certainly something that we have lost as a culture Catholic, as a, yeah. in our Catholicity that um, this uh, kneeling and praying and acknowledging what has just happened, what has just been given to us um, as, you know, make this final act of Thanksgiving for the Eucharist, for uh, for this great and holy time of this union with heaven, which we have had the privilege of, of being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um and the St. Michael prayer is kind of, I, I've never really thought about this until you were just talking, but the it's kind of cool to do the St. Michael prayer knowing that we're about to be sent out, yeah. or we've just been sent out, and we're right. about to walk out into, you know, some of those parishes have like, you're now entering the mission field kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, right, right, um, right. And, and, and as we are going out into that battle that mm-hmm. is the world, um, to to have the intercession of Saint Michael, or to to beg for the intercession of Saint Michael right. in that in that moment just before walking out the doors Ex- of church, I think is really absolutely beautiful. absolutely. It's unifying, right? We're always yeah. talking about things like this to you know help us to to do this together. And I think more and more, you know, Catholics, uh, if we're paying attention, there's a grace. We should have a great sense of of the spiritual battle that is raging on all yeah. sides around us, and that uh, you know. Taking that moment at the end of Mass, thank the Lord, ask St. Michael for this help in the battle, and then venture out and, Mm -hmm. you know, take it to the streets. Take it to the streets, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So now going back to uh, the Marian antiphons that you were mentioning, we've got the Ave Regina Celorum, which is the uh, the antiphon proper for Lent. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't ask you before we came on the air, do you have the translation of it that you can read to folks? I do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, so technically within the uh, the life of the divine office, which is where a lot of these things are drawn from, sure. right? Where they fall and which you know which which office they're prayed in. Um, so technically, the 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 Ave Regina Celorum is sung from Candlemas, which is February second, the feast of the presentation, um, all the way through Holy Saturday, and then of course on Easter Sunday, it changes to the Regina Celi. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so read us the translation. All right. Hail, hail, Queen of Heaven. Hail, Mistress of the Angels. Hail the Root. Hail the Gate. Whence arose the light of the world. Rejoice, O glorious Virgin, beautiful above all others. Farewell, O fairest one, and pray for us always to Christ. Mm. It's a beautiful little prayer. Mm-hmm. So short Very and sweet. sweet. Yeah. Short and sweet. So would you go ahead and chant it for us, Catherine? I will. I will. Ave Regina Celorum, Ave Domina Angelorum, Salve Radix, Salve Porta, Ex Quam Mundo Lux Estorta. Gaude Virgo Gloriosa, super omnes speciosa. Vale o valde decora, et pronubis Christum exora. The Ave Regina Celorum, as sung by Catherine Fishlock, the Sunrise Morning Show music teacher. <laughs> if you'd like uh, your parish music program, your choir, to learn how to chant from her like that, get in touch with us through sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll put you in touch with Catherine. You guys can set up some trainings. <laughs> that would be awesome. That'd be great.
Well, Catherine, it was good to see you. Thank you so much. Good to be here. It's quarter past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with Dr. Matthew Bunsen right after this. Stay with us. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. EWTN's cathedrals across America and the Diocese of Phoenix, Arizona invite you to bring the peace and healing of Lords into your home. Lift your prayers to Mary Immaculate, whose intercessions have cured infirmities, both spiritual and physical. From St. Bernadette Catholic Church, the World Day of the Sick Healing Mass in honor of Our Lady of Lords, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on EWTN-TV and Radio Essentials. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Hamas is proposing a ceasefire and an eventual end to the war with Israel. The Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster has offered his prayers for King Charles III. It was recently announced the king has been diagnosed with cancer. And the Holy See has confirmed Pope Francis will be taking part in the traditional Papal Ash Wednesday ceremonies a week from today. That's right. Ash Wednesday, one week away. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you again. It is good to have you back. And February 7th is the Feast of Blessed Pope Pius IX. He was Pope for a long time, wasn't he? Yes, uh, he was Pope from uh, June of 1846 to uh, February 7th, 1878, which makes his uh, arguably the longest reigning Pope. Uh, of course, uh, tradition always uh, gives us uh, deference to Peter. So this was a pretty remarkable reign, and it was one that stretched across some of the most uh, titanic events of the 19th century. 
uh, both for uh, Europe and for the Church. Indeed, and I want to get to that in in just a moment. But to look at him um, as a person first, can you give us a sense of his early life? I mean, what challenges did he face as a child? And then after being ordained, how did he rise through the ranks of the Church? Well, uh, to say that his uh, rise was meteoric uh, would be something of an understatement. Uh, He was born into that sort of uh, slightly impoverished uh, Italian nobility, and uh, he grew up, as they often did, uh, surrounded uh, by the Church and in the Church. And he wanted to uh, initially become a priest, uh, and was also wanted to be a member of what's called the Pontifical Noble Guard, but uh, he was challenged uh, with uh, mild epilepsy, and he was dismissed, actually, from the papal guard, and, according to tradition, uh, begged at the feet of Pope Pius VII uh, to remain. Uh, and while Pius asked him not to be part of the noble guard, he actually was finding in Pope Pius VII the real supporter for his uh, continuing studies and went on to be ordained, briefly was not allowed to celebrate Mass alone uh, because of the risk of epilepsy, but that uh, lessened. And he soon found himself uh, on a variety of missions because Pius VII really trusted him. One of them took him to South America, which makes him really the first pope ever to travel to the Americas, uh, at least future pope. And uh, from there he went on to a variety of posts under several other popes uh, until he was named a cardinal. Uh, And from there... Uh, really positioned himself perfectly, not that he was ambitious, uh, but he was recognized as somebody who really seemed to understand the times, and uh, those were, as the song goes, uh, changing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on, as you mentioned a little bit earlier. Give us a sense of what was happening in the world during his reign as Pope. Well, we start uh, with Europe itself. Uh, When he arrived as Pope in 1846, uh, Italy was being convulsed. Let's remember there was no really such thing as Italy at the time, so the Papal States were still there. Uh, He recognized the political upheaval that was happening, the various revolutions that were taking place uh, politically, economically, socially across Europe, and and really stretching across the world. Uh, You had the old order that Napoleon Bonaparte had done so much to destroy that was still trying to cling to power after his defeat. Then you had the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution. You had uh, the emergence of the the terrible and great isms of the 19th century that continue to plague us today, such things as socialism and communism. And all of these things were sort of found in different ways uh, by Pope Pius IX as challenges directly uh, to the dignity of the human person and the life of the Church. And that became one of these recurring themes that... uh, in 1846, he was greeted as a great liberator, as, as, a, as a progressive, in fact. By 1848, he'd been forced to flee from Rome by revolutionaries. He came back, uh, and he was dismissed by some after that as a, as a crank conservative. But actually, what he was trying to do, uh, as uh, so many popes have in the past, is to bring the wisdom of the Church to a deeper understanding of the crises of the time, and to help the world understand the risks that it was facing uh, through the embrace of a lot of these ideologies. Yeah, how did he get the nickname P.O. (laughs) No-No? Well, precisely because there was this uh, idea that he said no to everything. Uh, So it's a pun, actually, on uh, the fact that he was uh, Pius IX. He actually took the name in honor of that Pius VII who uh, helped him be a priest. 
And uh, so if you take Pio Nono, uh, it was turned into a joke that Pio, no, no. <laughs> that uh, he was saying no to everything. Uh, and for us as Catholics today, it's a very good thing that uh, he said no to mm-hmm. a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing he did say yes to was infallibly declaring the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. But was papal infallibility actually a thing yet? Well, yes. I mean, if, if you look at uh, the, the history of the Church, the, the beautiful tradition of the Church, uh, it was very clear that uh, this was something that needed to be defined. And I say that because everything was being called into question. And the, the First Vatican Council helped to reaffirm in an era of suspicion, of cynicism, of growing doubts about the survival of the Church, at least in, in the minds of many in society, and it was calling into question as well uh, the very survival of the papacy and the Holy See. And through papal infallibility, I think uh, he really helped prepare the papacy for so many of the challenges uh, that uh, the popes have faced in the 20th century. And sure enough, much as he saw the storms coming, they broke right in the middle of the First Vatican Council when the state of government of Italy, uh, the the Kingdom of Italy uh, stormed into the Papal States, seized them, Victor Emmanuel. And Pius IX had very little choice but to accept the political reality of it, but he also understood the importance of girding and safeguarding the Church spiritually and to some degree temporally from this massive change. And of course in 1870, Rome itself was seized uh, by the Italian government, and thereafter Pius IX was called basically a prisoner of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the process um, in declaring the dogma of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, uh, again, one of those great historical processes, uh, and this is another one of those great legacies of uh, Pius IX, in that he understood the, the importance of deepening our love for the Blessed Mother, but also our understanding of her. And in that sense, too, uh, the more we understand the Blessed Mother, as is always the case, uh, theologically and historically in the life of the Church, the more profoundly we can understand her Son. So this is a a statement, I think, on the part of Pius IX, of strengthening the faith of Catholics at exactly the time when we needed it the most, but when we also needed the Blessed Mother uh, to be there with us. And I think history has proven Uh, as we have seen with the subsequent uh, Declaration of the Assumption, that the more we understand and love the Blessed Mother, the more we understand the faith, the more we understand Christ, and the more we can do for the world. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You can find EWTN News linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. So much of what Pope Pius IX had to say so relevant for us today on on both the spiritual and the political level of our lives as Catholics. Blessed Pope Pius IX, pray for us. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show on a Wednesday for EWTN. We'll look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Got another hour for our local listeners and anyone listening via the Sunrise Morning Show app which you can download through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.